Yo, what's happening, everybody? This is Jerome Threadman checking in for the Chicken and Kool-Aid podcast. And um, I'm just sitting back doing the quarantine lean. You know, there's been a whole lot of things that's been going on in the United States of America. Matter of fact, all over the world since the COVID-19 has basically set the world at almost a standstill. And we constantly see um, different things being taken place, social distancing, um, people dying, different types of legislation being pushed out to the people that's in need, essential workers, um, some will consider being treated unfairly, um, different people not wanting to abide by the actual rules, and we see also companies getting richer, and to a certain extent, the poor keeps getting poor because they never get bailed out. I'd like to thank you all for joining me today. It's definitely a pleasure and an honor. Um, man, I couldn't wait to get back and touch bases and touch ground with my people. So, One of the first things I want to touch on today is specifically African-Americans in this quarantine thing. We have been so creative um, in pretty much making the quarantine cool. Um, But at the same time, we have suffered and lost the most. And it makes me really, really sad because... No one is pretty much pushing the bell of alarm. You know, when we see pretty much almost a great portion of a specific generation, older generation is being wiped out because of their immune system wasn't strong enough to handle um, the COVID-19. And some people just didn't follow the rules. And they were, I would say, I don't know if they didn't believe it or if they didn't understand how it would actually spread properly to other people. And as a result of that, other people begin to suffer. And as a result of that, die. Um, definitely in places like Chicago and Atlanta, um, Houston, Baton Rouge, you know, all of the urban areas were were hit pretty hard. And um It almost seems as though that there was a area of confusion and lack of leadership uh, within the our healthcare community. I'm not talking about the entire United States, but there was no one that really came out um, and spoke about spoke about how dangerous and how precautious that we actually needed to be, except. I think this guy who his name is Jerome Cunningham um, for the um, I don't know if it was the CDC or whatnot, but he was speaking directly to us. And he said, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for TT, do it for Big Mama. And he made some other remarks. And a lot of African-Americans took offense to that. And me, on the other hand, I try to see things for what they are. 
Um, and I think that people looked at this guy just because he was appointed by President Trump and was like, you know what, he's a he's an Uncle Tom. He's you know, he's not really for us. So therefore he can't speak with us. But at the same time, you know, hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of African-Americans have passed away and was infected. So um, I think that our health infrastructure from just a community standpoint um, in our leadership, I wouldn't say let us down, but I think that they were caught off guard and and we pretty much didn't know what to do. Um, at this point in time, I think now more than ever, we have to continue to allow our leadership the opportunity and give them the proper respect from a listening ear to say, hey, look, we know what we're talking about. We know what we're doing. And we also need, if we actually get out and push a message to the masses on an actual platform, we need for a constructive listening ear. So once the message was finally um, received, I think uh, Sean Combs, I won't call him P. Denny anymore. I'm going to call him Sean. Um, R.I.P. to Andre Harrell, by the way, and everybody else who's lost family members and loved ones during this time. But when Sean Combs started to push the message, I think that Oprah got involved and a few more um, entertainers and the message was was well received. So we're going to transition in regards to this because right now, as we could see, you know, with the COVID-19, there has been stimulus packages that's been, you know, pushed to the masses, um, emergency funds, people who were um, actually had to stay home and they weren't actually able to generate any income. And, you know, those $1,200 stimulus packages, I wouldn't say it's a slap in the face, but I just I just think that to a mother with five kids um, and a husband, you know, if they're if one income is gone, that $1,200 is not going to last long. But at the same time, you know, in our community, we've seen an influx of, you know, Frivolous spending. I didn't talk about this too much on Facebook because I don't want to start a stir and I don't want people to get the message misunderstood. I think it is more effective if I put it into a a podcast format so that way people can form their own opinions, do some fact checks, different things such as that. But. Right now, more than ever, one thing that has been constantly communicated to African-Americans is to invest, um, focusing on small businesses and just to try to pull our own selves up by the bootstrap. Um, Because at this point in time, it's no doubt about it. Those small business loans that were supposed to go out to the struggling businesses, um, they were funneled through other businesses and other banks to actually give the small businesses the financial relief 
that they most certainly needed. And what happened, as usual, the minority and African-American community were left out. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm going to go back to the stimulus package and how our community um, needed it. But I think that it showed once again the ugly side of not being prepared, um, not being fiscally sound, not having, you know, six months of savings. And, you know, these are things that our financial leadership, our African-American financial leadership has been saying for years, uh, decades upon decades, um, not having good credit, making sure that you don't over finance your home uh, when you're taking out these home equity loans. And all of these things came to ride true as soon as the money started to stop and the checks started to come in, start, started to stop coming in. All of these things started to reign true. So, and there was a trickle down effect because with the African-American small businesses, some of these businesses were not prepared to be, to have a, um, an alternative emergency plan. Um, there is an actual specific term for that. I won't, because it's going to take me probably about five minutes to, to, to dig this up, but, um, there's a term for that, you know, it's pretty much, you know, business 101 or business, you know, 240 or whatnot, but there is an actual term, you know, to have an alternative plan um, if something goes wrong. But let me catch back up to myself and, t- and start to talk about how basically our community still lost even when the loans came up, because these banks, they they still have the good old boy system in and they still um, fraternized or chose people that they ha- actually had business relationships with. I mean, I'm not a race baiting person, but, you know, if African-American and minorities were left out and when I say minorities, I'm not talking about um, white women. I'm not talking about gays. Um, or lesbian or the transgender community. I'm specifically speaking on this from a race standpoint, you know? Um, so pretty much the money went to white businesses. Let's just be honest about that. And the ones, the ones that didn't go or the loans, they didn't get approved to, um, black businesses or, um, the white businesses, they just fell through by the wayside because all the money was gone. Um, I want to give a major shout out to Magic Johnson because he has set aside, I think, $100 million specifically for minority businesses. Um, Magic Johnson has always been into urban redevelopment. And I think that as far as his legacy is concerned, this will submit him um, not to say that he's going to use this as a bragging point or anything like that, but this will submit him. As being a, I would say, a business icon of the century, of our time, you know, in in my generation. I'm 42, I'm about to be 43. Of course, there's a lot of other business people that's um, that's doing different things. But when Magic Johnson stepped up and he made it public, he didn't do it in private. He made it public. 
Um, and this was done probably about a couple days ago. Um, I think that that's um, something that he's always done. But in this scenario was really, really touching the people and the businesses that that needed it. OK, so now since we have, you know, covered a couple different things about the, you know, about the quarantine lean and about the African-American community, um, I really want to focus on I really want to focus on business. And what I mean by that is, is the actual food industry. The restaurants, um, you know, the McDonald's, the Burger Kings, the Wendy's, the Chipotle's um, and every other mom and pop business that there is. And I want to show I want to make a. A very, very good example, and I'm speaking to our community and I hope that we hear and understand this. DoorDash, um, not Lone Star, but a whole lot of other companies have, um, as well as mom and pop businesses, has really, really made tremendous strides during this time because of the uh, food delivery options that are available through Postmates, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Grubhub. I would like for everybody just to sit back and think about how much money that's been spent in the delivery food business and how much money has African-American restaurant owners or restaurateurs, whether it's a major chain or mom and pop, how much money have they actually received or what was their return of investment? Me, myself, personally, I would say it's probably about three percent based on 100 percent of the money that's been that's been spent these past, you know, three to four months. We're almost up in the up in the billions at this point in time. Now, a lot of people would say, well, you know what, Jerome, here you go again. Why would you say something like that? Um, what does this really have to do with the covid-19 and why are you mentioning the African-American restaurants and businesses? Um I'm happy that you would ask that question. Of course, it was a rhetorical question to me. And the reason why is because our business infrastructure needs to be available. We have the ability to serve our people. Our people spend money every single day. But if we don't have a business structure and the proper business is set up. So when opportunities come like this, even in a disaster form, we would be able to thrive and be able to see a rate of return on our own money. This is something that I really, really, really feel that needs to be looked at. Um, how much money is being spent every single day in our neighborhood. And I'm not mad at um, an Asian restaurant owner. I'm not mad at a at a, a, a Arabic restaurant owner. I'm not mad at any of these people. Right. Um, but the only thing that I'm saying is, is this. They have came to our community and we are in their business plan. I could guarantee you that if you go to. The Chinese restaurant or, or the Chinese community in Chicago and you're African-American and you try to set up a business in the smack dead in the center of Chinatown. There's going to be an issue. There's going to be an issue. Not only 
is there going to be an issue if you have, I would say, the gall or the balls to just go over there and say, you know what? I'm going to start selling egg foo yang and um, shrimp fried rice. They are not going to receive you well. If you go to um, the Arabic community or any type of Middle Eastern community and you start to say, well, you know what? I'm going to be selling. I'm going to start to sell chicken biryani or I'm going to start to sell uh, curry goat. They're going to look at you and be like, you know what? Who who invited you here? You know, and I think that at this point in time, we need to start to get out and test the free enterprise system. Not only we, me, myself need to get out and start to test the free enterprise system so that way we could be able to see some of the money, not all of it. We can't get all of it, but some of it. And I think that just looking at it from an outside looking in it is really, 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 really um, hurtful and almost shameful to see that all of our money is being, as soon as we get it, it goes right out to someone who doesn't look like us. And as a result of that, when we see poverty rates in our community, it is a direct correlation or correlation from the lack of African-American owned businesses. If there were more business owners, then there would be more wealth. It's no doubt about it. But let me get off my soapbox with that, okay? Um, I, and, and I think that you all have the picture. And again, I really, really do appreciate you all um, tuning in to the Chicken and Kool-Aid podcast, the Quarantine Lean Edition, right? We talked about a whole lot of different things, you know, as far as culture, uh, as far as community. Now we're going to actually get on the culture. Um, Title, which is owned by Jay-Z, has been, man, they have found a way. Right. I, I think this is one of the most effective things that they have done to get people to really, really dig in to their brand. Um, and I really, really wish that they would. Uh, market this more as a title um, production, right? With the versus collaborations, I, I, I mean, it's been fantastic. Uh, Jill Scott versus, I'm not even sure who the other person was because I like Jill Scott so much. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was fantastic. Um, Manny Fresh versus Scott Storch, uh, Nelly versus Ludacris. I think the main one that put everybody on beam was um, Teddy Riley versus Babyface. I think that that was classic. Um, but what we're also seeing in 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 the culture of entertainment at this point in time is a lot of people are strengthening their brands through social media. And I really do feel at this point in time, if I was a standout artist, I think that I would develop my own specific, not only on Instagram, I think that I would develop my own web page. I think that I think that at this point in time, an artist can 
can parlay people from Facebook, from Instagram, from Twitter over to their own individual space and they can put up their own individual content on their own individual space and post different things and and turn it into something that's really, really, really cool. Um, a lot of different people have uh, turned to different forms of media to to actually just show people what their lifestyle is about. Man, big shout out to um, to Rashida and Kirk. You know, they have their own cooking channel. Um, I've been checking that out, man. And I tell you, they make a mean. Um, what, what was the last thing I seen them make? The lamb chops with the um, with the sweet potatoes. Oh, my God, man, it looked so good. It looked so great. Uh, Regine Carter has her own channel at this point in time where she's also showing just a little bit more about what her lifestyle is about and how her family cooks. I mean, it is it is it is spectacular. And I think that more and more what you're going to start to see is a lot more people during this time start to venture out and starting to let you know um, just a little bit more about the intimate things that they do that other people can relate to because other people automatically have an interest in, you know, whatever it is, you know, whether it's shoes, fashion, food, um, cars, you know, whatever it is, but you're, you're going to start to see a lot more of that. Um, at this point right now, as far as entertainment is concerned, uh, RIP Betty White, Betty Wright, right? She was a, uh, a musical pioneer, um, man, like we grew up on that, uh, the still love you like I do, you know, it was, uh, after the pain, you know, it was, it was, it was phenomenal, um, to see the amount of love, uh, that she received. And, um, I think that this has also given us an opportunity to, to really, really start to re-celebrate our own just organically. Um, with this COVID-19 thing, because now at this point in time, we're starting to really see that life is really, really and truly one day you could be here and the next day you could be gone. Um, But I wanted to shift gears just for a moment and just to speak about the music industry and what is it like at this point when there's no shows, when the only thing that you could really do is stream music? How are music artists? I mean, do you think that they're struggling? Do you think that they're living paycheck to paycheck? Do you think that they're running back to the label trying to get loans? I mean, this is new for everyone. But I think it's a good thing. And here's the reason why. Is. Now it's up to the artist to put money in their pocket and they have to find ways to do that and be more creative because as the money dries up from shows and different things like that, the record label is not going to be giving out a whole lot of advances. They're not going to be covering the marketing budget. They're not going to be covering the production and all of these type things. And it's actually forcing the artist to become more independent. But you know what? I have so much to talk about. I'm in so little time to do it. Hopefully you all have enjoyed the first episode of the Quarantine Lean on the Chicken and Kool-Aid podcast. Again, I'm your host, 
Jerome Thornton, a.k.a. J-Love, represents Drop City by way of Elgin and now Rocktown, Rockford, Illinois. We'll holler at you all in a minute. Man, it was really, really my pleasure. If you guys have any questions or if you would like to become a part of the show or like to add anything, please, please email me at virtualhustle77 at gmail.com. Um, you can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at virtualhustle. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and have a great evening.